The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yes, it is, and welcome to the show. We are back. John Scholes, Chris Justice is your guy. If you've not caught uh, Chris on our TV show, uh, you will very shortly. Does an excellent job of that and also does a radio show for uh, for a long time. Chris is here, and he's filling your head full of very useful information. It's about employment law, and you're wondering, okay, I, I like the show, guys, but I want to reach out afterwards. You can always do that to reach Chris, and that's uh, number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. We are ready to uh, to talk to you. Hope you're ready to talk to us. And we're going to get to our main topic of tonight is fast facts about bonuses. Gotta love a bonus. Bonuses are good times. And we'll get to that after we do a, a case of the day, a week that was, pal. What do you got going on? Yeah, this time around, I uh, had a case not too long ago uh, that I was working on. So I figured it'd be good to talk about. It has to do with um, a medical accommodation request from an employee and how the employer had responded. So... I had this guy come to me. He was working uh, both day and night shifts as part of his job, which was you know absolutely no issue. But as of more recently, he had a bit of a medical issue. He had to take some time off work, uh, went on a medical leave of absence. And not too far into that leave, um, his doctors notified him that because of some medications that he was taking, they, uh, they had advised that he would work only nights. Um, and so he would have to at least temporarily give up the day shift that he was working in, just have it, um, as I say, focused on the night shifts. Um, so he got a doctor's note. Uh, he provided the note to the company, which was the right thing to do. Uh, the note basically just recommending and, and saying that he's required to work nights only. And this particular, I guess, accommodation or request was supposed to be for three months. And then his, uh, the note said that the doctor would reassess afterwards to see if anything further was needed. But as soon as the employee gave the uh, note to the doc- uh, the employer, rather, the employer said no, right off the bat. Um, they said they can't make any special arrangements. They were worried about how that might be seen by other employees who may have preferred working the day shifts. And at the end of the day, they just said to him that, it would be too much of an inconvenience and so they told him that they were happy to have him there but it had to be on the basis of him working both those day and night shifts so then he gets in uh, in touch with me Um, I kinda speak to him about his rights and immediately tell him that in my view the employer dropped the ball in this case Um, what they did was illegal they failed in their duty to accommodate this individual they didn't go far enough uh, in terms of uh, doing everything within reason to accommodate him. They just kind of thought, again, this is an inconvenience to us. We're worried about the optics for other employees, but that's not going far enough when it comes to an employer's obligation. So, um, you know, it doesn't really matter if there's going to be headaches created or if it's going to upset others. Um, this is still, in my view, or was still going to be, in my view, a breach of the Human Rights Code. Um, because I just think employers far too often say something is too hard to accommodate before they actually go forward with it or, you know, maybe consider it. And so there are significant repercussions. Now, fortunately, in this particular guy's case, we were able to speak with the employer, speak with their lawyers, get them to understand their duty to accommodate, 
and um, fortunately this guy was able to actually come back and work the day shifts, but it took a little bit. And there are also a lot of times where employers don't do this. Um, so I think it's important that employees in these cases know sort of, you know, that they have rights, they have options, um, because again, it's just something that happens far too often. And as I say, some employers just don't want to get the message. Is there a limit to how far an employer has to go? I mean, I guess it would depend on how big the employer is and their resources as well, right? Yeah, so there's always, you know, it's always within reason. You know, there's a phrase that's called undue hardship, and it essentially speaks to situations where, you know, there are limits for employers too. You know, employers aren't expected to accommodate literally everything, especially uh, requests that would maybe create an undue hardship. Um, I, I don't know specific example, but say there was a, an accommodation request where the employee actually had to work at a different location. Uh, geographically, mm -hmm. and that that meant the company had to uproot its business and go somewhere else. Well, yeah. you know, in most cases, that's just not going to be reasonable. But it is still far and few between. I find that you know this happens, and and as I say, unfortunately, a lot of times it's this misunderstanding of oh, it's undue hardship when really it's not. But there are there are certainly cer certain occasions where um, you know accommodation efforts kind of reach their limit. So the threshold is generally pretty high because, I, I mean, in, in most cases, I guess you found, Chris, it's, you know, these, yeah. the, these employees are not asking for a new elevator or a new wing on the building. I mean, it could be a matter of change of shift, fewer hours, <clears throat> you know, maybe not lifting as much, maybe some ergonomic chairs or some office pieces that are going to help them out. That's well within reason, right? Yeah, yeah. Those are a lot of the most common requests, you know, things that aren't too burdensome, right? Like you right. say, maybe a piece of equipment has to be ordered, different shift, maybe... Yeah. Of the hundred percent of their job they can complete, maybe they can only complete now, you know, ninety percent of their job. But then you've got employers saying, unless you can come back one hundred percent full strength, you know, we don't want you back. And you know, these are again just examples of I think requests that are much more within reason, um, but employers just simply don't want to adhere to it, and maybe hopes of the employee going away. But again, that's where they have significant repercussions against them. We are warmed up and set to go. We'll take a short break and get right back into our topic. And that is, again, uh, fast facts about bonuses. So stay tuned for that. The Employment Law Show continues. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we are back. We're so good to have you along with us here. Uh, Chris Justice is your guy. The main topic we'll dive into is fast facts about bonuses. First, I think we got a call. Not sure if it's related, but uh, we'll check it out anyway. Adam, good evening. How are you, pal? I'm well. Um, so a new law got passed by the National Labor Relations Board in the United States stating that an employer may not make you sign an NDA. Um, to get your severance. Is such a law here in Canada hmm. or is there anything for it to be starting here? Yeah, I guess it would depend on what exactly you're being asked not to disclose. So, for example, it's very common practice for there to be a situation where, let's say you negotiate a severance package with your employer and in exchange for that severance package that exceeds your bare minimum rights, 
the employer is asking you, for example, not to disclose uh, the fact that you received a certain sum of money as a result of the settlement. You know, something like that, as I say, is very commonplace and um, and would typically be required before you're able to get any severance, um, or at least certainly any severance above and beyond what their minimum obligations are to you. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also other scenarios where, depending on the nature of the case, part of the documents you'd be asked to sign in order to get the settlement package could could involve things that go beyond just the dollar amount itself. So yeah, in, in that context, it is definitely possible um, in this province to uh, have something like that included in a in a what's called a full and final release. Right. Okay. So the answer is no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it's uh it, yeah. Well, I guess the answer would be it just depends on what exactly you're looking to prevent. Like I know if we're talking about say allegations relating to sexual assault or sexual harassment, there's going to be different rules at play. Um, or different considerations at play. Um, so yeah, it just kind of comes down to what exactly we're talking about. But the examples I gave are are still nonetheless very commonplace. Yeah, no, what it is in the United States now, as of May the first, was it can be the the employee can ask for an NDA, the employer cannot. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, usually there's sort of a a bit of back and forth, right? So the employee will get a severance package of some amount, and in exchange for the employee having that or getting that as consideration, the employer typically expects a couple things, including non-disclosure of certain items, as well as, you know, uh, ensuring that, say, confidential information isn't disclosed. Um, So, yeah, but as I said before, if we're talking about things like sexual misconduct, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But in the sort of the more typical employment context, these are they're still par for the course. And I think thanks for the uh, the call, Adam. I think uh, worth mentioning too, Chris. When we're referring sometimes to the uh, you know employment laws on the other side of the border, they they go by I think what's called employment at will, which basically means the the employee has compared to Canadian zero rights it's uh we're we're, we're far and above in a way what they uh what they uh what they're allowed to have down the states i mean outside maybe new york yeah, yeah. and california are, are closer but generally employment at will sucks for the employee the employer's got all the power down there whereas up here we keep saying on the show and have for 10 years that employee laws are very robust for employees so that's the reason why you listen to the show so you're made aware for them uh Okay, fast facts about bonuses. Number one, a bonus is not considered discretionary if an employee receives it every year, like our good pal Clark Griswold. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times, and this still happens so many times, people will come to me mm-hmm. and they'll say, you know, look, Chris, I've got this bonus. Uh, I went back, I looked at my contract. It says something about the bonus is discretionary. You know, my employer saying, hey, look, I know we've given you a bonus, let's say every year, but, you know, year nine, you're not getting one. And, you know, by the way, you've got this contract that says it's up to our discretion in any event. And then a lot of people come away with the takeaway thinking, all right, well, they've, they've got me here. I've signed this contract. It says the bonus is discretionary. I have received it, as a matter of fact, for eight years running, but, you know, I guess it is what it is. But that's where employees are mistaken. And that it's actually really not necessarily about even the contract whatsoever in these cases. It's more about what your expectations are when your employer tells you something like you're not getting a bonus. Because if you're getting a bonus, you know, eight years running, it's typical or reasonable to expect that in year nine, you're going to get a bonus, especially if every year it's pretty consistent. Yeah. And so, as I say, a lot of times employees, uh, people think that employers can do this when actually 
um, they can't for the most part. You know, it's now at that point become a term of your employment to get a bonus every year. And, you know, the simple fact that there's a contract signed is not going to change that. It's not going to fly. Um, but it's not also going to stop employers from making that argument. So I think employees just need to be aware of something like this because the question at the end of the day will be, you know, is this bonus, which oftentimes can be a lot of money, is this bonus a regular part of my compensation? You know, have I formed a, a reasonable expectation that I'll get it? And then in that case, if the rug gets pulled out from under you, you're told you're not going to get it, um, you know, that's where the employer could essentially be breaching the term of your employment now, which is to get that bonus. And that fact dovetails nicely into fact number two, that severance packages should include all aspects of remuneration, all components of your job, including that bonus got to be there. Yeah. So apart from, I guess, being owed a bonus based on time you've already put in or based on already having earned it, um, when it comes to severance packages, bonuses are often neglected too. Um, and again, people think that this is, for whatever reason, you know, on side when as I say, if you're an employee who's been getting bonuses year after year after year, and we're talking 10, 20, 30,000 plus, you know, on top of your base pay, um, that absolutely should be taken into account when it comes to a severance package. So say, for example, you are, I don't know, looking at a severance package worth six months. Um, your employer is agreed to pay you the bonus that you're owed up to your last day there. Well, they should also agree to actually pay a prorated amount of your bonus over that six-month severance period. So you definitely want to make sure that all aspects of someone's remuneration are, are factored in um, when it comes to severance packages, whether it's base pay, bonuses, pension, employee share, ownership plan stuff, RRSPs. I mean, there's a ton of things that you want to make sure are still on the table. And that gets interesting too, especially if you're one of those folks that has, you know, a 22 or 24 months of severance coming to you and there's a yearly bonus. Now it's a yearly bonus times two, right? Yeah, exactly. And and again, depending on the amount, that could be a huge sum of money because you've got to ask yourself, you know, had you been given the opportunity, let's say to work those two years instead of just get paid out two years of severance, would you have been eligible for those bonuses? You know, it's, it's through no fault of your own that you're being let go without any notice whatsoever. But if your employer is going to do that and just cut ties immediately and prevent you from the ability to earn that bonus over that working notice period, then again, that's where it's uh, expected that they'll at least pay out the bonus over that same time frame. Jewel, thank you for taking the time. Good evening. Good evening, guys. Uh, great show. Thanks, Listen, Bill. Uh, let's say the bonus structure is uh, that someone is making double or triple, sometimes even four times. And the company sees that everybody's making bonus so quickly, so easily, even though objective is they're increasing every month, and all of a sudden they put cap on it that you could do double, but to, to make it triple is way too high. And at certain point, let's say, you cannot do four or three times because they put cap on it, all of a sudden. Without cap, I mean, they announce that, but can they allow to do that once it, it was open and now they put cash? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, I think it goes back to the notion of a constructive dismissal. Mm -hmm. You know, because a constructive dismissal is when your employer makes significant changes to the terms of your employment that you don't consent to. So, uh, Jewel, in your case, if you had a bonus plan that had no cap on it, and simply said that, you know, say for example, you get X percent 
uh, for every dollar you bring in and there's mm -hmm. zero cap and you're doing very well for your employer to later on come to you and say actually you know what we're putting a cap now on the bonus you know that might actually result in you losing potentially thousands or tens of thousands or even more in terms of money and you know when you get into those kinds of numbers that is a significant change to the terms of your employment so even if the company's doing this change in good faith or for some sort of business related reason that still doesn't necessarily um, mean that they can get away with it. So, I, Jewel, I would say it would depend in part on the actual impact that this change is having on you. If you are losing a lot of money as a result of this cap being put on and you don't agree with this change and you didn't sign anything that says they can do that or gives them the right to do that, then I would say that you're potentially in a situation where you've been constructively dismissed and you may actually have options to uh, either hopefully get them to change their mind or possibly leave and get paid as though um, you were let go and get your full severance and bonus entitlement. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Thanks, Jewel. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. We are talking fast facts about bonuses. Uh, number three, employment contracts may limit the right to a bonus payment upon termination. What's up? What's up with that? Yeah, and so I was kind of alluding that uh, to that a bit with a, a call from Jewel. Um, mm -hmm. There always is the possibility that your contract or let's say a bonus agreement that you might have signed has some language in it that allows the employer to either maybe make changes to the bonus potentially um, or gives the employer the right to actually avoid paying you a bonus say in the event of termination. Um, so that is technically possible, but the vast majority of contracts and the vast majority of bonus plans, um, in my experience, do not uh, give companies the right to do this. They're essentially drafted in a very poor way that isn't going to be viewed as enforceable by the courts. So as much as there may be reference to something like that in a contract that make, makes you think, well, the employer kind of can limit my rights in this way, for the most part, it doesn't actually have that effect. So if you're someone with a contract like that, don't assume that it has the effect it says it does. It's going to require a lawyer to look at it and really kind of get into the, the nitty gritty in terms of how everything's worded and, and laid out. I want to get to one more of these fast facts uh, about bonuses. This one's interesting. Employees who are not paid their annual bonus may be able to get their severance through constructive dismissal. We talked about that too, right? Yeah, just a second ago on that call. Um, again, if, if you're being denied a bonus uh, and the bonus is a regular part of your compensation, especially where it forms a big chunk of money, uh, your employers cannot just simply take that away. You know, It's essentially uh, amounts to a pay cut. And again, if it's big enough, that's going to trigger a constructive dismissal and give yeah. that employee the right to treat those actions as though they had been let go and then go after, as I was saying to Jewel, their full bonus and severance entitlements. I want to talk a little bit, switch gears, about uh, employment rights and hybrid work arrangements because we've, we've been getting calls on this lately. First one I'll throw yeah. at you, Chris, kind of a, a slow pitch over the plate. You'll knock it out of here. It says, do employers have to give employees a hybrid work option? A lot of people think so in 2023, right? Yeah, yeah, especially when they've, let's say, been working from mm -hmm. home as a matter yep. of fact for the last two or three years. They right. think, well, who cares what happened before the pandemic? I've <laughs> been doing my job from home. Uh, I've done it great. I'm getting great reviews, 100% able to do everything uh, that my you know job requires. And then their employers may come to them and say, 
you know, we wanted to do hybrid. You know, you work from home a bit, but you come into the office. And um, employers are actually not required to give these hybrid options. They're not required to give employees the full autonomous right to work from home full stop. Um, and yeah, that's a big misconception with a lot of employees. They think that, um, you know, this is something that has to happen when in fact yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, I think of those employees that, you know, a year and a half or two years ago sold their uh, condo at, you know, King and Bay and moved up to Thunder yeah. Bay going, oh, oh, what do you mean I got to come back to work? It, this sucks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They think they can get away with it, that there's some sort of new term that's been created. But in a lot of cases, maybe even majority of cases, employers are within their rights to have people come back and work out of that physical location. Yeah. Let's get George on quickly here. Uh, George, thank you for taking the time. How are you, pal? Good, good. I'll make it quick. Uh, yeah, man. They're talking about buyouts in our company, and I've been with it for about 20, 23 years as a network operations person. And the bonus structure has been between 50, sometimes 12. I'll say the lowest has been 12 up to 22% per year. They average out what the bonus will be based on the company's profit. How would they, what would they okay. base it on a package if they're buying the out? Would they average it out over the course of 20 years and say, okay, mm-hmm. the average is 17% or 13 or 14 and buy you out that way? Or how does that work exactly? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. It, um, it can kind of work out in a variety of different ways. But I guess the, the key question is, let's say you're let go and you're making a claim for bonuses like beyond your termination date throughout the notice period. The question kind of becomes, had the employee actually been given the opportunity to work that period out instead of being terminated effective immediately, what would they have received as far as a bonus? What would they have been eligible for? Now, sometimes it's hard to know because you don't know the future. You don't know, had you been there, what may have been possible. And when that sort of thing happens, a lot of times what the courts will do is look at a historical average. So you're kind of along the the, the right lines there. Um, Typically, courts will go back maybe three or four years um, prior to your termination. They won't necessarily go back throughout the entire tenure. Uh, I guess the theory being that, you know, what's what's been happening more recently Mm -hmm. is likely going to be a bigger predictor of the future. But having said that, you know, especially in these pandemic years, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that the performance of a company maybe in 2020 and 2021 is going to reflect the same thing in 2022 or 2023. So in a way, you've got to really treat it contextually. But in a lot of cases, courts will go back and look at maybe a three or four year average. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, George. Appreciate yeah, no your time. And I, I guess the same thing kind of applies for uh, for salespeople. With you know, as as, more, as much as they've made up and down their uh, their uh, their earnings, they'll average out over the last three or four years as well if they're let go too, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it can be tricky because you might have a bunch of sales in the pipeline. You know, when it comes right. to salespeople, yeah. and you know, you might have on the one hand an idea of okay, as of the day I was let go, these are all the deals I completed and that I just feel I'm entitled to. But then you've got all these other contingencies, so it can be definitely tricky. But it's not something you want to just accept or resolve on your own without a lawyer because oh, yeah. you could also be throwing away a ton of money. And that is it for another half hour. Chris Justice, Reachable, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca or simply pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We will catch you next time in the Employment Law Show. Thanks for listening.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Entertainment.